The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, what I wanted to talk about today uh, is what's happening in our culture, in the culture as a whole and also uh, in the church. You know, we have major issues in the church. There's an exodus from the church. If you look at what's happening with the younger generations, we're losing them from the church. If you look at church attendance in England, it's down to, what, less than 4%. If you go back in America's history, in the 1700s, it said about 75 to 80% of the population attended church. But where are we now? Well, Pew Research Forum in 2010 divided groups into generations depending on when they were born. The greatest generation, the D-Day generation, there's not many of them left now, but 56% of that generation went to church. And then the silent generation, 44%. The baby boomers, I'm in the baby boomers generation, that's why I'm so young, 32%. And then Generation X, 27%. And then the millennials is 18%. I know a lot of you will be in Generation Z, it's much less than that. And in fact, research last year from GSS Data Explorer, millennials and Generation Z down to less than 9% church attendance. We have a generational loss from the church. Why is this happening and what's going on here? Christian researcher George Varner said, Generation Z are the first truly post-Christian generation. Who would have thought that in that generation we lose the Judeo-Christian ethic that once permeated the culture? And now we see moral relativism permeating the culture and even sadly, uh, part of the church. In fact, when people say to me, what has happened? What's gone on? Well, I'm reminded of Judges 21:25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, if there's no absolute authority, who decides right and wrong? Who decides good and bad? Because then it's all just subjective. It's all based on feeling. See, once upon a time in America, so to speak, most people respected the morality that came out of the Bible. But that's no longer the case. And in fact, what's happened is we've had generations go through an education system. If you look what's happened in the public education system, they've thrown God out, the Bible out, prayer out, creation out, and they teach you can explain everything by natural processes. It's man that determines truth, man that determines what's good and what's bad. And we've had generations toward atheistic evolution as fact. And some of those have gone to our churches where sadly the majority of our Christian leaders, not all of course, but the majority, and the majority of Christian college academics, not here of course, there there are only a handful of colleges like this that take the same stand that Answers in Genesis does, which we praise the Lord for and are thankful for and thankful for the graduates. Did I tell you we're hiring to come and uh, work for us? Uh, so, but what has happened is many of those have been told, oh, you can believe in evolution millions of years. Don't worry about Genesis. It doesn't even matter. Just trust in Jesus, Johnny. But you see, the message of Jesus comes from this book. The message of Christianity is based in real history. And actually the history at the beginning of the book is foundational to the rest of the book. It's foundational to everything. And so let's understand what has happened and what's going on. Well, the battle going on today has been going on for 6,000 years. You realize the battle is no different. It's the same battle that occurred 6,000 years ago. It occurred in a garden. After God created everything, he said it was very good. 
And then he gave the first man, Adam, a choice. He didn't make Adam to be a puppet to force him to love him. He wanted us in Adam to love him because we wanted to and to obey him. And he said, Adam, you can eat of all the trees, just one you're not to eat of, because if you do, you'll surely, what, die. In other words, obey God's word. But then the devil in the form of a serpent came along and said, ah, hath God said, did God really say, did God actually say? In other words, the first attack, and this is what we really need to understand, the first attack was on the authority of the word of God. And then you will be as gods. In other words, you can be your own God. By the way, if you look at that, Genesis 3.1, Genesis 3.5, think about the fact of our sin nature, we all sinned in Adam, and Genesis 3.1 and 5 actually sum up the sin nature of man. Our propensity is we don't want to believe the word of God, we'd rather believe the word of men, and we want to be our own God, and we want to decide truth for ourselves. We don't want there to be an absolute authority. See, when you take generations and teach them the Bible is not the absolute authority, then ultimately anything goes. And when anything goes, it really means that Christianity doesn't go. What I mean by that is this. When people say, we need to allow all views, we decide what's right and wrong. We allow everything. No, they don't. They don't allow the absolutes of Christianity that say they're wrong and this is what's right and this is what's wrong based on God's word. And that's a battle we see before us today. It's a battle that began in the garden between God's word and man's word. It's a battle between two religions. See, a lot of people have the idea that there's hundreds of religions, but if you distill them down, in an ultimate sense, there's really only two religions, God's word, man's word. That's the battle that's before us. And you see, for many people in the church, I find because they don't get what the real battle is all about, they don't understand what's happening uh, in the culture. See, people have this idea that, oh, if you, if you take the Bible, prayer, creation out of public schools, now they're neutral. Secular is not neutral. The Bible says you're either for Christ or what? Against. You either walk in light or darkness. You either gather or scatter. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. See, there's no neutrality. That's what we need to understand. When the Freedom From Religion Foundation, that group of atheist bullies from Wisconsin, because that's how they get their way of being bullies, when, when they come to an area and say, oh, you can't have crosses or nativity scenes, that, that's your Christian religion, you need to take them out and make them neutral, and people succumb to that, and they let them be taken out, and now they've allowed the atheists to impose their religion. See, atheists will tell you they don't have a religion. We don't believe in God. We don't have a religion. They have a worldview. They have a way of thinking. Their way of thinking starts from man's word, not God's word. Their religion is an anti-God religion. Everyone has a religion. See, when you start from God's word, you build a whole way of thinking. That's one of the things that we emphasize in our ministry you all need to understand is the Bible is not just a guidebook to life. The Bible is not just a book of spiritual things, moral things, and relationships. This is a revelation from God who knows everything there is to know about everything. And he's revealed to us the key information we need to build the right way of thinking so we can understand the world. See, I find a lot of people in the church, they, they say to me, well, how do you fit death and suffering with a loving God? How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Well, how do you explain the so-called races of people and fit that with the Bible? See, it's the wrong way to think. You don't look at this present world and say, how do we fit that with the Bible? We have a revelation from one who's told us, here's the events of history, here's the major events, the key events that you need to understand to give you the foundation to understand the world, to have the right worldview, to have the correct way of thinking. Your worldview doesn't come out of the air. You build your worldview according to the foundation you have. And ultimately, there's only two foundations, God's word, man's word. 
So when you start from God's word, you realize there was no death originally. Death is an enemy, the Bible says, because of our sin. So the death and suffering you see today means you're looking at a fallen world. And unless we start from God's word, we're not going to understand the world around us. The, what we see. Because we know there was a global flood, we know there'd be billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth, which is what you find. Because we start from God's word, we know we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, therefore there's only one race biologically of people. There aren't any different races. And so once you have the right foundation, you have the right worldview. That's one of the reasons why, for instance, uh, you produce here Christian textbooks so that schools can teach a true biblical worldview. Sad thing is, most Christian schools, about only 6% teach a biblical worldview, because many of them use secular textbooks, and not only that, they teach evolution of millions of years. See, think about it. How can you Christianize a secular worldview? For a lot of even Christian schools, I see people saying, well, we can just add God. You can't Christianize something from the top down when it's wrong from the foundation up. And if we don't understand that our worldview starts with a foundation, then we're not going to understand the conflict in our culture. Because what's happening today when, when we see non-Christians accusing us of hate speech as Christians, they're saying that you Christians are intolerant. What's really going on? So to give you an idea, I've, I've talked to some of the LGBT people and they say to me, oh, you Christians are intolerant, you Christians are filled with hate speech. They say, all we want is freedom for our views. By the way, they don't, and neither do many politicians. They want total compliance and acceptance of their views. That's what you really see. But they say, look, we allow all views. That's all we want. We just want freedom to allow all views. And I say, wait a minute, but you don't allow all views. They say, yes, we do. You're the ones that don't. I say, wait a minute. Do you allow the view based on the Bible that there's only one marriage between a man and a woman, there's only two genders of humans, male and female, and that abortion is killing a human being made in the image of God, therefore it's murder. They say, well, now you're being intolerant. Wait a minute, you're being intolerant of my worldview. They say, but you're being intolerant of our worldview. See the clash? The clash is up here at the worldview level. And we have to come to grips with the fact that the secular worldview now dominates our culture. And because that dominates the culture, people with this worldview will be seen as the enemies, which is why the Bible says you will have persecution. And because many people, even in our churches, don't understand this, haven't been taught by their churches that our thinking starts from God's word, they don't really know what it means to have a true biblical worldview, therefore they don't understand what's happening in the culture. And so I have many people who say to me, well, it, it's sort of overwhelming. Look at all the problems we have. I mean, how do we deal with the gay marriage problem and the racism problem and the gender problem and the abortion problem? How do we deal with all these problems? Well, that in itself is a problem because they're not different problems. Do you realize they're all the same problem? They're the same problem, the problem being they have the foundation of man's word, they're different symptoms of the problem. Now, once you understand that, then you start to realize, wait a minute, if they're all the same problem, then that means they have the same solution. Of course they have the same solution. And the solution has always been the same. The solution has never changed. What's the solution? For people who put their faith and trust in the word of God and receive the free gift of salvation and to build their thinking on God's word, to have a true Christian worldview. I mean, that is the solution. In other words, we should be on about the word of God and the saving gospel. That's the solution. Now, what can we do? Well, we live in a time when we've had generations indoctrinated against God's word. 
They've been taught ideas that say you can't even trust the Bible. The younger generations don't even understand what sin is. They don't even know who Jesus is. And even in our churches, many people don't know how to deal with all this or how to raise up generations in this world with the right foundation and right worldview. And I'm just going to deal with two things this morning. There are a number of others I have in the book, Divided Nation, but there are two main things that we do in Answers in Genesis and through the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. Psalm 11.3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You've got to have the right foundation for the structure to stand. We need to be raising up generations to be thinking foundationally. In other words, starting from God's word to develop a true Christian worldview. And when you start from God's word, here's something that I think is a key that many are also missing. Genesis 1 to 11, the history there in geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology that God reveals to us is foundational to the rest of the Bible, to our Christian worldview, to all doctrine, to the gospel, and actually to everything. And I'll give you some examples here in a moment. And then 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer. The word answer there comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. You know, I found that even in our churches, most of our Sunday school materials are what I call shallow fluff and stuff and teach Bible stories, if you know what I mean. You know, Journey of the Great Fish, Feeding of 5,000, Paul's Missionary Journey. Don't get me wrong, we need to teach those. But I even object to using the word story today because the word story has changed meaning. The word story used to mean history. Today it means fairy tale. And so for a lot of people, they get the idea, oh, we learn stories at church, we learn real stuff at school, things like that. And so we need to be teaching not just what the Bible says, but also preparing people for the world we live in today so that they're ready for those attacks. Because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that the devil's going to use the same attack on us, which means on, on our kids, on our congregations, on our Sunday schools, on our Bible study, on our young people. He's, he's going to use the same attack as he did on Eve, and that was to get people to doubt and not believe the Word of God. And there's particular Genesis 3 attack today where we're told science disproves the Bible and how did Noah get the animals on the ark and where did Cain get his wife and what about dinosaurs and how do you know there's a God and how can there be a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? See, we need to be equipping people. All of us need to be equipped to know how to handle those attacks, those questions when we hear them so that we can give a logical reason defense of the faith. And so... What we try to do as a ministry is to help people to be raised up thinking foundationally and with apologetics. We do that at the Ark Encounter. We do that at the Creation Museum. And at the Creation Museum, a centerpiece, we have all these exhibits where we walk people through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We call it the seven seas of history. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion. That's Genesis 1 to 11. That's that history in geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology. That's foundational to the rest of the Bible, to the message of the gospel, Christ, cross, and then consummation. Those first four C's are actually foundational to our Christian worldview. And here's something that I wanted you to get today. That's my introduction, by the way. I'm now starting uh, my chapel talk. So you can reset the clocks. Okay, so I wanted you to get this point. When you deal with any issue, any issue, if you start thinking foundationally in the right way, you can start to understand how to talk to somebody about it and what you should believe. When you deal with any issue, it's very simple. You start with Genesis 1 to 11. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that. See, 
I find that the secularists out there that, you know, there's no God, everything happened by natural processes, Big Bang, evolution, and so on, to them, you know, abortion, you know, we define marriage, LGBT, it's just all logical consequence of their foundation, that's their worldview, all is relative, moral relativism, all subjective. For many Christians, I find, they look on it as a big puzzle. Oh, we've got to deal with the sanctity of life and, and marriage and the family and, and, and origins and races and how do we deal with all these things? Well, here's the point. Once we understand the history God revealed to us in the first 11 chapters and you believe that and build your thinking on that, there's no puzzle. It all comes into place. And so I'm going to ask you some questions. Hey, you're students, right? You have to answer. This is an examination. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to give me the answer out loud. Okay, I want to hear it up here. Now, to make it easy for you, I'm going to give you the answer. And to make it even easier, I'm going to say the same answer applies to every question I'm going to ask you. And to make it easier again, I've already put the answer on the screen. So we're going to say the answer together right now. And count to three. One, two, three. You start with Genesis 1 to 11. Okay, I have a question for you. How do we deal with the topic of gender? Amazing, you people will graduate. <laughs> okay, so let's do that, all right? Genesis 127, God created man in his own image, male and female he created them. I'm, I'm getting a sort of a hint that there's only two genders. Wow, I jump over to the New Testament and Jesus, as the God-man, when asked about marriage, says, haven't you read? By the way, he quotes the text of Genesis 127. Amazing, Jesus believed the history in Genesis. And he said, haven't you read, he who made the beginning made the male and female? He says much the same in Mark 10. From the beginning of creation, he made the male and female. So regardless of what the world says, and they claim there's these exceptions and other problems, and regardless of anything else, if we truly believe God's word and start from God's word, you tell me, how many genders of humans are there? Two. That's right. And guess what? A little bit of apologetics. Science confirms it. You see... We're built of 23 pairs of chromosomes, and males have a pair of sex chromosomes, X and Y, and females have X and X. Amazing science confirms two genders. We can actually define what a woman is. Maybe you should tell some of the politicians that. And by the way, this is, you know, I could spend a lot of time talking about this, but when people come along and say, well, what about some of the exceptions like two X's and a Y and three X's and, and some of the other issues and so on? Well, remember something. We live in a fallen world, right? And those so-called exceptions are a fraction of a percent overall. But you see, because we live in a fallen world, now there are mistakes and mutations passed on from one generation to the next because, you know, we sinned in Adam, the whole creation groans. And then the other thing is people say, but what about these that have these strong feelings? You can't trust your feelings. Feelings are subjective. And the way we should look on it as Christians is this. What does the Bible say? The heart of man is deceitful, right? Deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. I mean, the heart of man, we're sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so what we should say is we can't trust our feelings. Therefore, we need to judge our feelings against the absolute authority of the word of God, because this is the absolute authority. It's not just a guidebook to life. Okay, I've got a question for you. See if you can answer this one. Okay, how do you deal with marriage? Come on, have a guess. 
amazing. Your recollection is phenomenal. Okay, so God made man in his own image, male and female. He made man from dust, not from an ape man. The Bible says from dust we come and to dust we return. We don't return to an ape man when we die. You can't add evolution to the Bible. And then God said, it's not good that man should be alone. No one else was made in the image of God. And so he brought the animals to Adam to name to show there were none like him. I mean, he didn't look at a female chimp and say, you know, she's close enough, I could date her or something like that. And then he put Adam to sleep and from his rib, from his side, he made the first woman. Wow, woman came from man, not from an ape woman. Woman is from man. Even Paul, the apostle Paul in the New Testament says that. Wow, he believed Genesis. And what do we read in verse 23? Oh, first recorded words of Adam. He got all poetic and romantic. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, you can think about it, you know. I don't know whether you, you, you can celebrate Valentine's Day or whatever, or maybe the cancel culture will get rid of it anyway, but take your wife or your girlfriend out for dinner, sit them down at a nice restaurant, look at them across the table, rip the mask off, make sure it's the right woman. <laughs> no one understood that two years ago, but... And then you say, I want to be like the first man when he was perfect. You are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You are woman. Well, anyway, we can see what happens when we do that. But you know, you go to the next verse, Genesis 2:24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. Do you realize something? That's the creation of marriage. Right there. Marriage is a God-ordained institution. That's where it comes from. God created marriage, not Joe Biden or the Supreme Court justices or Congress. God created marriage, which means there's only one marriage, the marriage that God created, which is a male and a female, which means a man and a woman. That means there's no such thing as gay marriage. And there's not. When I write about gay marriage, I put marriage in quotes because it's not marriage. They can call it gay union, whatever they want, but it is not marriage. In fact, when you jump over to the New Testament, we quoted the first part of this before when Jesus was asked about marriage. Haven't you re read, he which made the beginning made the male and female, that's Genesis 1.27. And then notice the next part, that's the text of Genesis 2.24. And for this cause shall man of his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and, and uh, they twain shall be one flesh. In other words, the history in Genesis is foundational to the doctrine of marriage. Can you imagine this? That there are whole generations of kids uh, that have gone through our churches, and many of the churches have not taught Genesis 1 to 11. In fact, I find most churches don't deal with it at all, or it's too controversial, or they say we don't know how, how to interpret it, or we don't know what to do with evolution, millions of years, and the majority have neglected it, and they've told generations, oh, just trust in Jesus, but if you haven't taught them the foundational history in Genesis, how do they know what marriage is? No wonder we're seeing increasing numbers of young people in our churches impacted by the LGBT movement. And here's the thing. When you've taught them you can take man's ideas of millions of years and evolution and go to the Bible and reinterpret it, why shouldn't they take man's view of marriage and do that as well? By the way, do you realize it's not just marriage? Do you realize ultimately every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? Think about it. Where's the origin of sin? Genesis 1 to 11. Death, 
Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Marriage, Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? It's good to see that you are, but the animals in our zoos don't. How come humans do? God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have dominion over the creation, not the other way around, as a lot of our politicians have it? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have to work? There's a doctrine of work comes from Scripture. Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's a foundational history for everything. And yet it's so neglected, which is why so many Christians don't have a true Christian worldview. It's why so many Christian schools don't teach a, a true Christian worldview because they think you can just Christianize the secular worldview. Okay, let's go to another issue, abortion. I have a question for you. I'm not sure if you know the answer. How do you deal with abortion? You know, I talked on this topic not that long ago at the Ark Encounter and <laughs> I had parents tell me, on the way home, they said, you could tell even our little kids listen to your talk, because on the way home, they kept chanting, you start with Genesis 1 to 11. <laughs> like all the way to Oregon, you start with Genesis 1 to 11. They'll remember that. So will you, hopefully. Okay, so God created man in his own image. What's that got to do with abortion? Everything, because you see, man is not an animal. I know we're put in the animal kingdom, but you know, if you use the criteria made in the image of God, man should be separate. Because there's a big emphasis today that man is just an animal. I've had people tell me, hey, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids, we're all animals. There's no real value to life anyway. You die, you're done. How did God make the animals? Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after their kind. How did he make man? Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You know, the Creation Museum and the Ark are in northern Kentucky, and we're just across the river from Cincinnati. And Cincinnati Zoo has, for the last couple of years, uh, earned the Best Zoo in America award. Well, if you go to the Cincinnati Zoo and visit the ape exhibit, it, it tells you you're visiting your family. And it says this, we are not, after all, the only beings with personalities, rational thought and emotions. There is no sharp line dividing us from the chimps and the other apes. We humans are a part of and not separate from the animal kingdom. See what they're trying to do? You're just an animal. That's, no, no wonder we have kids coming through our education system who see life is just valueless and so there's no purpose and meaning. Who, who cares who you shoot or get rid of or abort babies or whatever because ultimately that's it. There's no, nothing else. And by the way, it's interesting to note when they say there's no sharp line dividing us from the chimps and other apes, I don't know every zoo I've gone to has had a very sharp line. Some of you can figure that out later. Okay, so in reproduction, you get DNA from the male, DNA from the female, and then fertilization. We have the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world at the Creation Museum, and we're opening a new one very soon that's three times the size. But you know, and, and this comes from that exhibit, at fertilization, do you realize something? There's a unique combination of information different to the mother, different to the father, and different to any other human being. And as that cell then builds your body, no new information is added. Which means what? You are a human being made in the image of God right from fertilization. So abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization. There was somebody on one of the 
secular news channels recently said, the Bible, Bible doesn't even mention abortion. It says nothing about abortion. Well, actually, how's this for a start? Do not murder. See, it comes down to your worldview. Once you understand man is made in the image of God and so on, then, it, then it, that really uh, determines how you view what God's word is saying. And how does God himself talk about this? Psalm 139. You covered me in my mother's womb. Um, you, 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 you knit me together, it means. Um, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes, you saw my substance. When we're still being formed, you saw my substance. In other words, while your body was still being built and, and, and wasn't even built, it's still you. Because it's you, right from fertilization. But what, the, what is the world telling us? Oh, my body, my rights. In fact, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, recently retreated tweeted, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is their decision. It is their body. She has no understanding of science. A fertilized egg is not part of a woman's body. For a start, it's got a different combination of information than her body does. And if it's a male, where did the Y chromosome come from? And actually, a fertilized egg is looked on by the woman's body as foreign tissue to reject. God built an anti-rejection mechanism into the uterus. Amazing. And so at the Creation Museum, we make sure we tell people all about this. Okay, real quickly. How do you deal with death, suffering, and disease? What do you think the answer is? See, you people really are learning. That's really great. The origin of death. See that second C, creation, corruption. God made everything very good. Adam, if you disobey, you will die. Adam disobeyed, the origin of sin, the origin of death, death entered the world. What did God do? He made coats of skins, the origin of clothing, and clothed them. At the Creation Museum, when you see the blood sacrifice, first sacrifice scene, the first blood sacrifice, the covering for their sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Genesis 3.15 is the promise of the Savior. Genesis 3.21 is looking forward to the fact the one who, who, who is to be our Savior will die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood represents life, and death is a penalty for sin, so there has to be giving of life to pay the penalty for sin. But it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. That's why the Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again. We as Christians don't. You didn't come down here today and slaughter a sheep down here or anything. We, we don't sacrifice animals today because this was looking forward to the one who would die once and for all. A man brought sin and death into the world. A man would need to pay the penalty for sin and death. We're all descendants of Adam. We're all one race, but we're all sinners. A sinner can't pay the penalty, so God steps into history to be a member of the human family, the one human race, to be the perfect man, the God-man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, and offers a free gift of salvation. Wow. And I pray that every one of you has received that free gift of salvation. There is nothing more important in the entire universe. But you know, we have generations of people today who have been taught in our churches, oh, you can believe in millions of years, just add into the Bible. Millions of years came out of atheism of the 1800s of people who want to explain the fossil record by natural processes. And if you look on the fossil record, there's lots of examples of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. Originally, Adam and Eve and the animals are vegetarian. 
We weren't told we could eat meat until after the flood. God said, you know, originally I gave you all the herbs, the plants to eat. Now I give you all things. He gives us everything now, which is why you can eat a hot dog, because it is everything. <laughs> Even the origin of a hot dog is in Genesis 1 to 11. Think about that. If you believe in millions of years as a Christian, we've got a problem in the fossil record. We see evidence of diseases like cancer, arthritis, all sorts of diseases in the bones that supposedly existed millions of years before man, but after God made man, he said everything was very good, which means what? These two things can't be true at the same time because God's not going to call cancer very good. Death is called an enemy. Romans 8 says the whole creation groans. You can't have millions of years of death and disease before sin. Those fossils couldn't have been laid down over millions of years. How do you understand fossils? You start from Genesis 1 to 11. If there was a global flood, you would expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth, and you do. How do you deal with racism? What's the answer? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. The event of the Tower of Babel, confusion, is a very important event. See, the Bible's history. God made Adam and Eve. They had sons and daughters. Only eight people got on that ship, came off that ship, increased in number, and went through an event called the Tower of Babel. Noah and his sons and wives, the Bible says, the three sons of Noah, of people overspread the whole earth. We're all descendants of those three sons. And because of what happened at the Tower of Babel and our genetic diversity that we have in our DNA, as people move away from each other, depending on who marries who, and depending on who dies and how isolated they are, uh, then our features on the outside that represent minor genetics, uh, there can be distinguishing features for particular people groups. Even when it comes to skin color, we're actually all the same color. There are no black people, there are no white people. We actually have a pigment called melanin, which is a brown pigment. And I tell people, I can prove I'm not a white person in less than a second. See, I'm not a white person. Right? It only takes you less than a second. We're all brown. It depends on how much brown you have. That's all it is. It's just a minor variation. And you know, I, I want us to understand what's really happening here in our culture. You see, what's going on is this. When you start from God's word, one race, man's word. Oh, lower races, higher races, primitive races. I mean, that's what Darwin taught. Marriage, a man and a woman, man's word, you define it any way you want. Gender, only two, male and female, from man's word. Well, we, we'll define it any way we want. Abortion, killing a human being, made in the image of God, man's word. Just getting rid of another animal, there's, there's no value to life. And what we're seeing is the collapse of Christian morality and increasing moral relativism because foundationally there's been an incredible change in our culture where we now have increasing numbers of generations who don't build their thinking on God's word, they build their thinking on man's word. And that's the battle, a worldview battle that really is a foundational battle. And when you're gonna deal with the worldview battle, you've gotta aim for the foundation. If you don't question people about their foundations, in the long run, you're not gonna be successful up here at the worldview level. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.